So we're going to continue the footnote that we started last night, which, oh, actually, first I just wanted to say Mazal um, Tov to Shirit because she is moving to walking distance of Anachat. Yeah, I told them. Oh, you told, told everyone already? Okay. Yeah, fine. yeah. Because I saw all the rabbis there. Rabbi Grossman was also there, all the rabbis. So it's very, very interesting, right? Rabbi Zamir. Rabbi Zamir was great. He was very good. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. Were you able to understand everything? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, his Hebrew is a nice, a simple Hebrew. Um, and he, he was speaking, uh, it wasn't the complicated ideas that he was expressing, right? It was, you know, very simple, but expressed beautifully. So. Yeah. Okay. So we're continuing on with yesterday's footnote that was on page 211. Uh, we were talking about the isolation of the Jewish people. And what the beginning of the footnote was describing is the idea that this isolation is supposed to be a, not a situation where we think of ourselves as better or anything of that sort. There is a humanism, a universalism, and a particularism at the same time. In keeping with this line of thought, we're on page 212 now, second paragraph. In keeping with this line of thought, Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch explains the prohibition on becoming too close and intimate with the nations, and in particular, the prohibition on intermarriage, as motivated by the danger of Jews trifling away their most precious possession, their Jewishness. It may be added that Rabbi Leib Chasman, who was a mashkiach, who was a spiritual leader and guide um, in the 1950s, points out that the Gentile world refused to recognize God when he revealed himself in the momentous events that marked the exodus from Egypt. According to the Midrash, he turned to all the nations to offer them the Torah, but it was rejected. The Midrash goes through at length the idea of what it is that caused them to reject the Torah, and different nations were rejected either because of prohibition against murder, prohibition against idolatry, prohibition against illicit relations, and they, they, non-Jews rejected it. And still today, the Gentile world views the Jew and his mission with disdain. Therefore, it would not be only be practically dangerous, but also morally wrong for the Jew to show favor to it and to develop a greater closeness before the world is ready to accept God's teachings. And so God wants us to remain separate so that we can keep our mission strong and it can be our focus in life. And if we do not, if we join together completely, then we will be unable to keep that focus on our mission. We'll get confused and get mixed up with our mission as well. Yet, as pointed out by Rabbi Meir Schiller, the mission of the Jewish people in the world, which requires it to remain separate from the nations, also demands from it the highest standards of perfection in its dealings with the Gentiles. Thus, the halacha obligates the Jew to practice kindness, not only towards his own people, but towards the needy and suffering of all nations, to visit their sick, bury their dead, and provide for their poor for the sake of peace. So <clears throat> this phrase is called Misham Darke Shalom. Right, for the way of peace, it's not so clear what this means. This phrase is taken by some to mean that such kindness is called for in order to prevent enmity. But the Rambam Maimonides, as quoted by Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch in Choriv, sees it as a reflection of King David's stress that God is good to all and his mercy extends to all his creatures. Right? This is what we say in, um, in Ashrei, right? And of the statement that the Torah's ways are ways of pleasantness and all its paths are peace. So the reason why we take care of non-Jewish people as well is not just because we don't want them to get angry at us, but because this is a expression of the fact that Hashem takes care of all of his creations. And we who emulate Hashem seek to do the same. 
Currently, the OU, the Orthodox Union, is running a campaign to buy uh, oxygen compressors and concentrators for India, right? I also saw on Shabbos a beautiful story with one of the former chief rabbis of Jerusalem going back to, he died in 1909. His name was Shmuel Salant, Rabbi Shmuel Salant, originally, I believe, I believe from Hungary before he went to Israel. And the story goes like this. He was actually, it's in a New York Times article from 1909. And this fellow kind of interviews him because he's the chief rabbi of Jerusalem. And he comes away very impressed with him. And one of the things that he quotes in this New York Times article is that Rishmuel Salat was very moved when he heard what happened to the Armenians, that the Turks had been killing them, right? That the Muslim Turks were killing the Christian Armenians. So he said, I gave, I gave 100 francs to the uh, Christian fund. I wish I had more money to give them, but I'm a poor man. But that, that was as much as I can give. And this reporter was, was touched that, uh, that this great rabbi from Jerusalem would be thinking about Armenian Christians, you know, however many hundreds of miles away and would send money to their relief fund. And one other story that I wanna share with you that I actually just heard today about a great rabbi, his name was Aaron Cutler. Aaron Cutler passed away in 1963. He it was a, uh, a Russian Jew who came to America, I think middle of World War II and immediately got very heavily involved. He was a Rosh Yeshiva. He was a head of a Yeshiva. He was a very righteous person, a tzaddik, right? And he comes to America, immediately gets very involved in the Vat Hatzala, in the, uh, the group of people who came together to save the Jews who were dying in the Holocaust. And he, he spent many, many hours on the train back and forth from Washington, D.C. to New York to try to help influence Washington to do things. So the story goes like this, and I heard it from someone who heard it, from the son of who it happened to, okay? So it's not so far away. This fellow, Rabbi Hoberman, okay, who at that point was a yeshiva bacher, was one time driving to Byron Cutler in the late 1950s. And they're driving in New Jersey and they're heading from New Jersey back to New York, okay? And they're driving and they see two large black men who are hitchhiking. So this bacher is like, uh, doesn't want to pick them up, so he just drives right past them. And Byron Cutler is this diminutive, very old person, he says, you just ignored those two people. They're looking for a ride. And he said, but Rebbe, they, they might be trying to rob us or something. Who knows with hitchhikers? You never know what's going to happen with a hitchhiker. And there might have been a little bit of, um, of racism there also. I don't know. So he says, but, but they're waiting for a ride. And they're just sitting there waiting. You can't just ignore them. So he says, I, I can't do it. It's too dangerous. He thinks to himself, like, this rabbi, this old man, he doesn't necessarily recognize the realities of the world as well as I do. He's like, we're not going to do it. And he's like, you stop the car right now or else I'm getting out of the car. You back up right now and you pick up those two guys so afterwards he tells them like why are you so adamant so he says this passage right it says hashem is good to all of his creations you're supposed to just ignore you see two people waiting for a ride and you just ignore them what does that say about you right so this concept that, that we as jews are not only looking out for our own we are looking out for the entire world the idea that we don't connect to them the idea is not out of disdain is out of a sense that we have a specific mission and they have a specific mission. And right now, if we would join together with a non-Jewish crowd and non-Jewish um, atmosphere, then we're gonna have a different mission. Our missions are gonna become attenuated because we're no longer gonna be able to remain focused on our mission when we're together with other people who don't have the same mission. The requirement that the Jew practice kindness applies to all non-Jews. To those who specifically take upon themselves to observe the seven Noahide commandments, which are incumbent upon all men, 
the Jew is further commanded to extend his full and active love and esteem for their acceptance of basic divine teachings marks them as gay toshav. Gay toshav is a halachic category in Judaism that when people who are non-Jews but who have accepted upon themselves the seven Noahide laws, they take on a different status in halacha and we are obligated to help them live which means beyond the fact of helping people out when they are in desperate need at a specific time, right? We are actually obligated to actively involve and in, let's say helping them find a job as opposed to if you're, if you're you know, walking out of, the, out of the grocery store and there's someone standing there with their hand out, you have to give them some money. Absolutely, you have to, right? But that's not the same thing as actively trying to go about trying to help them find a living, which is what we call the mitzvah of lahachayoso. And that mitzvah would apply to non-Jews who have taken on the seven Noahide laws. But even any non-Jew at all, right? We still have an obligation to practice loving kindness to them. The same way Hashem is concerned for all of his creations, we too need to be concerned for all of his creations.